Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. Today we start off a new series called Praying with Paul, and Pastor Steve Stratus gets us started with a message from 1 Thessalonians. Let's listen. Hey, we're going to start a new series this morning. Um, How many of you have uh, seen what's going on in Asbury College? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So for those of you who don't know, Asbury College, there's also Asbury Theological Seminary. Um, There was a man once there, David Siemens, who was an author and and pretty good preacher. But about 12, 13 days ago, the students met at chapel. And this chapel was a little bit different because the students didn't want to leave after the chapel was over. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you can see these days that are going on, but uh, they didn't leave. And so now, 12 days later, day and night, it's been packed with students and professors and people. People are flying in from all over the country. Uh, Yesterday, there was a line around the campus trying to get into the sanctuary, and the sanctuary was so full. People are going to the altar and confessing their sin. People are praising God. It is just such an incredible phenomenon to need, uh, to see. The truth of the matter, as we look at revivals throughout the history of, of America and throughout the world, I don't think there's ever been a revival that didn't begin because somebody got on their knees and prayed. And I think prayer is probably one of the most difficult things uh, to do. Uh, I say that because usually when you say we're meeting for prayer, very few people come. And, uh, and yet prayer becomes one of those things that we need to participate in simply before God and participate in together and recognize that uh, being in the presence of God is what changes our lives. And so the thing that's going on in Asbury uh, College is just a wonder to see. So if not, keep that in prayer and uh, let's ask God to do it again here and do it through our community. That being said, uh, we are going to spend the next eight weeks looking at uh, Paul's prayers and recognizing how we can use scripture to pray and recognizing how as we use scripture to pray, we can find the spirit of God using us to bring things to the surface, not only in our own hearts, which desperately are in need at times of God's grace and God's goodness and then lifting up those that we love. When we think about our country, when we think about all those that have passed over the years, we think about all the division and everything, we recognize that um, God's people uh, need to pray. I mean, it was said, right, Chronicles, if my people humble themselves and pray, then I'll hear from heaven and answer them. And I hope that we can begin to experience that over these next weeks as we seek to find prayer in our own lives. Believe me, I know that it's not easy to pray. Um, We've read a book together, uh, or reading it, uh, called The Prayers of Paul by D.A. Carson. And he said something interesting. He said, the reason we pray so little is that we do not plan to pray. He said, wise planning will ensure that we devote ourselves to prayer often, even if for brief periods. It is better to pray often with brevity 
than rarely, but at length. And I think if you're like me, uh, we all try to discipline ourselves to pray, right? Um, We get before God and we say, oh, Father, thank you for your blessings. Would you work a a work in my heart, in my life? I wonder what I do with my keys. (laughs) Or there's, oh, God, let me get back to this and I pray, Lord, uh, you know, that goodness that I spoke of is, is real and genuine. Help, help me to give it to other people. God, I hope I can preach this morning as good as Dustin did last week. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, you, you find yourselves in the middle of cell. I forgot to fix my son's bike. I told him I would do that. In, in our, the mental disruption that takes place in our lives as we try to pray reveals to us that we need some discipline and maybe we need a track to run on. I think the disciples felt that. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, it was interesting that uh, they saw Jesus go to pray and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And he gave them a prayer that is a prayer that we should be praying and learning because he said, our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that prayer begins with this adoration of our Father and who he is and what his kingdom is about. And then he said, give us this day our our daily bread. Not just me, but us. Lord, do something for the poor and help us to meet the needs of the orphan and, and the widow. And, oh, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses, for we Lord, needs so much to forgive others as you have forgiven us. That's our prayer. And then he says, Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. And if there was nothing else in terms of how we pray, go there. Because you can begin with God. You can pray the uh, prayer of of needs and forgiveness and, and victory over the enemy. And scripture. It's led me to read, reread some books, uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret and George Mueller and Amy uh, Carmichael, uh, If I Had a Chance to Die and C.T. Studd about his life. And, and I would say that to you young people, if you want some heroes other than the Avengers and Superman, you should, you should read these guys. Young people, Hudson Taylor at 16, Amy Carmichael at 17, um, just who gave their life to Christ and changed the world. And they prayed, and they heard God. George Mueller was one of those guys. He was known in the 19th century for all the orphanages that he began. And in his mind, orphanages were not simply for young children. But he thought of the old people who were struggling at a time when there was not a lot of resources. And he wanted to create homes that they might be able to have a place to go. He thought about the businessmen who are are wrestling with how to be businessmen and yet maintain integrity in a value system that lined up with their faith. And he prayed, and, and it was interesting. Mueller said, the most important thing to me is to find God's will. And he said, I find it in Scripture. He says, because if I find God's will, I know when I pray, God will hear me. And so he went about believing that it was God's will to build orphanages and to take care of people. And he never asked anybody for a dime. People gave him homes. 
People gave him money. People came to work for him. And he believed with all of his heart that if it was God's will, God would deliver. And he did over and over again. Read George Mueller's book, Answered Prayer. And you'll see the life and you'll read it and you'll go, God, do it again. Do it again. So what we want to do is we want to look at some texts. And uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you got a bulletin, but in the bulletin is a little card here. And we'll pray this as we leave. This is a paraphrase of what I'm going to read right now. Because we're going to look at a number of different scriptures throughout these next eight weeks of Paul's prayer and learn how Paul prayed and why he prayed and how we might take his prayers and we might emulate Paul in that and that we might take those prayers and we might make them our prayers. So let's turn to first, let me again, I I, want to read this thing that George Mueller said just so that you can get the connection. This is what he said. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Ghost guides us at all, he will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. So let's look at Paul's prayer here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. I mean, right off the bat, we, we see Paul's framework, right? He frames it with this insight about as he begins his prayer, he prays for others. He prays for the church in Thessalonica. And he helps us to remember that we can pray for people. And by the way, they're not just people you like. Because some of the people that teach you the greatest lessons through the Spirit of God is people who rub you the wrong way. It teaches you empathy. It teaches you humility. It teaches you how to recognize if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. And so Paul, over and over again, he does that. He, he, he says it over and over again, and we'll look later. But he says, we remember before our God, verse 3, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, would you just open up these words to us, make them applicable to where we live and who we are, 
and how we might look at those scriptures and use them through the Spirit of God to pray prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of encouragement, prayers of clarity, prayers of how to help people walk with you to be the Christian that they desire to be, to understand the gospel. God, I pray that you would all uh, do all these things. And then even this morning, God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul was a church planner. In about 49 AD, he went to Thessalonica to plant a church. And when he planted that church and began that work, he went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths in a row, and you can read all about this in Acts chapter 17, what what happened in, in that town. And so Paul, for three Sabbaths in a row, he communicated the gospel, and many came, many Jews didn't like it, many women came to faith, many Greeks came to faith, and many Jews came to faith. But there were those who were Jewish, um, religiously speaking, and they really disliked Paul. And so they went after him, so they had to hide him. And so as Paul planted this church, a year later he sends Timothy to go back and find out what's going on. And so Timothy comes back and he gives him a report and Paul writes this letter based on Timothy's understanding of what's happening in this young church at Thessalonica. Back in the 80s, I went with a bunch of guys to Thessalonica. We actually went all throughout Europe. We started in Vienna and we wanted to plant a church. And we said, God, you'll show us where we want to plant the church. So we went to Vienna, we went to Budapest, we went down to Sofia, Bulgaria, we went all over and we ended up in Thessalonica. We ended up in this park, and in that park, there were a bunch of kids playing soccer and we jumped into the game and they were interested in who we were as Americans and, and uh, we told them who we were and what we wanted to do and we said, we want to plant a church. And they said, oh, like the Greek Orthodox Church? They said, no, not quite like that. Um, And they said, well, what does that mean? And before we were done, there was seven of those kids and five of us, and we were all in a hurdle, and we were praying that Christ would come and make a difference in their life. They all accepted Christ, and the next year, we planted a church there. And so for about 10 years, a number of families went over from our church, and the church began, and I was always reading these words of, of Paul about this church 2,000 years ago people still hungry for this gospel. But when Paul writes to these guys, and then in this prayer we see, he's praying and teaching them at the same time what it means to be a Christian, what, what is important in that Christian life, and why he prays that they would continue to be strong in that which he says. And he tells them that they want, he wants them to grow in this gospel He wants them to experience the power and the deep conviction of the Spirit that they might live different lives, that he wants them to remove the idols in their life and serve and wait and escape the doom that's coming. And so when we look at this, this we recognize here the the beauty of what Paul frames it. He frames it, as I said earlier, with this mention of thanksgiving. 
But he says to them, he wants them to learn a couple things. And what I want you to see quickly, and I think one of the ways we can pray, look at, he says, the first thing as he wants them to understand is he wants them to understand that becoming a Christian comes through the gospel. He wants them to understand the gospel. He wants them to enter into the story of the gospel. Because you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are followers of Jesus Christ because someone told us the gospel. And in that gospel, we discovered how God so loved the world, how Jesus, God incarnate, came and lived a life that God always intended for us to live and died a death that we deserve to live, but in resurrection offered us victory through it. And so notice in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1, 5, it says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Chapter two of First Thessalonians says, says the same thing. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We go down to verse eight of this first chapter. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So one of the things Paul prays is he prays that you would in, in receive this gospel, understand this gospel. And so I think the prayer for us is to encourage one another to have clarity around what the gospel is. God doesn't save us because we're good people. God doesn't say it's because we're, save us because we're churchgoers. God saves us because he's deeply in love with us. And he recognized, even as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might have the opportunity to become the righteousness of God in him. God comes to us by his grace, and he gives us the gospel. And I remember over and over again in Ghana when we first there, we'd go and hit the streets and we'd say, are you a Christian? And they'd say, yeah, we're a Christian. I said, how do you know you're a Christian? He said, well, because my parents were Christians. Or they'd say, you know, because I was baptized. But that's not the gospel. Do you know the gospel? We pray that our church would understand the gospel. And in that understanding, there would happen there would something would happen that we would be able to so articulate the love of God experience the grace of God receive the compassion of God because of this gospel because it's this gospel that has made a difference in our lives wherever you are this morning God is madly in love with you he's demonstrated as Paul said in Romans 5 8 for God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. It was the greatest demonstration in the history of humanity. That's the gospel. And God wants you to know clearly that the salvation that he offers us is because of the story that we get a chance to enter into that was created by God in this gospel when he sent Christ for our lives. And so he says that whole thing of this gospel, and he says it interesting. He says, I came to you but not simply in words. So the gospel isn't just simply, I know the story. Lots of people might know the gospel story, but do they know the gospel person? Do they know what the gospel means and what it does? So notice what he says here. He says, not simply, verse five, he says, not simply with words, but also with power 
and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. He's telling us that the gospel doesn't come just in words only, but it comes in power. And he starts messing with us in this power. Have you experienced God getting in your business? Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel gets in our business. And it begins to change us. It begins to disturb us. It begins to meddle with us. It begins to be the very thing when we pick up the scripture and we read it, and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, if your hand is getting in your way, cut it off. If your eye is looking upon things that shouldn't, pluck it out. That's the gospel. It's messy. But there's power that comes with this gospel. And God uses all kinds of things to disturb us. Why? Because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be a people. When the Holy Spirit comes and brings deep conviction of the sin that's crouching at the door in all of our lives, the gospel wants to set us free. But at times, that that sin that's crouching at the door, that sin that is in our life and that spirit that is convicting us, it's, it's power. The question that would be asked is, when's the last time you experienced that deep conviction? When's the last time your heart felt in such a way that you just wanted to throw up? Why does that happen? That's the deep conviction of the Spirit. That's the power of the Spirit. And so God starts using things in our lives. He uses our relationships. He uses our marriage at times to reveal deep this conviction that we ought to have about how we treat one another. He reveals it in terms of jobs that maybe we've lost. And all of a sudden, it messes with our life and it causes us to recognize where do we find our joy? Where do we find our fulfillment? Where do we find our purpose? Where do we find the fullness of God? But in that gospel and in that spirit that begins to use lives, even as Paul said, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And all things means bad things and good things. But Paul is reminding them because they're going through some rough stuff. And he says, I want you to remember the gospel, but not just the words. I want you to remember the power because the power of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be free. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It's the power of the gospel. And he prays that they would not forget that. He prays that they would not forget the grace that is given to them. He prays that they would not forget the forgiveness that was offered to them. He prays that they might continue to be imitators of Paul himself and Jesus himself so that they might live a life because their testimony is spreading all throughout the land, which is the heartbeat of of us, I pray. I pray that, that our witness isn't just simply Sunday morning, but it spreads into the neighborhoods. It spreads into sisters. It spreads into Deschutes County. It spreads into even as Asbury College is having a revival, and it's spreading throughout all the land that people are going them from all over. Wouldn't that be what Paul was praying for with the Thessalonians? God, I thank you for the people at Sisters Community Church. I thank you, Lord, for who they are, and I thank you for how they live the gospel. And I pray that they would never forget the story of the gospel, but I pray, Lord, if the power of the gospel isn't in their life, that they would simply cry out to you, God, because only you can overcome sin and death. 
And there are so many things in our lives that require the power of, of this gospel. And when, these, when, that, when the gospel becomes power, and he says, he said it here in verse 5, he says, and it came to you. Where were you when you first heard the gospel? Because he says to us here that we, we are chosen. We are a chosen people. He said in verse 4, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, that he has called you. If you remember your Bible, you remember Abraham was a, a, a worshiper of, of the moon goddess, and God called him and made him the beginning of a nation. Moses was sitting pretty, pretty good in Egypt as the prince and son of, of Pharaoh, And God called him, and he heard the gospel and the way that God would communicate it to Moses, and Moses all of a sudden couldn't be happy with where he was because there was something greater. God called him. God's called you if you're a recipient of the gospel because he wants you to live an eternal purpose. He wants you to live a life of victory. He wants you to come to an understanding of what Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the hearts of men what God has prepared for those that love him because of the gospel. That each and every one of you will discover, even as Jesus said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And God in his goodness and God in his grace and God in his compassion has called you to himself. That's the gospel. Chosen you, it says. Are you stirred? You know, I think of reading the stories of D.L. Moody. I, I, think of, I think of my own moment of salvation, living in the teepee and all of a sudden having someone share Christ with me, and it disturbed me. I think of stories that I've heard. I remember talking with Dean Hodges and how as a, just a young tot, five years old, the Spirit of God coming upon him. I remember talking with Jim Gurney about how the gospel disturbed him, even though he thought he was a follower of Christ, but it took some tragedy in, in his life and in friends' lives. So when the gospel comes, it comes with power to disturb us. When Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you take up your cross and follow me, it disturbs me. What do you mean, die to myself? That's the gospel. And Paul is saying that to these Thessalonians because he knows it's so easy for us to retreat into our own natural strengths, our own way of seeing life. And Paul reminds them, God's chosen you, and he's given you this message. And this gospel that he's talking of is a gospel that comes in a thousand ways. For some, it's come in the midst of illness. For some, it's come through the brokenness of a relationship. For some, it's come through the spouse who's led you to Christ. For some, it comes because your kids are off the rails and you don't know what to do. But God will use all kinds of things to show you the gospel. And that should be our prayer as we pray for our neighbors and we pray for people who are close to us. God, would you, in your redemptive way, bring that word, bring that conviction, bring that deep Holy Spirit life into their lives. And so he reminds them of that. He reminds them of all that, that sin does and what can happen. And he goes on here. He goes on to talk about that God has intention for our lives. We don't, you know, we don't, you know it's, like, it's like being a baseball player, right? You, you hit a ball into the outfield, you get to first, and then you go sit in the dugout. That's what a lot of Christians do. 
you're supposed to get to second and to third, and you're get, get home. And so what God is calling these Thessalonians to through the Apostle Paul is to keep on keeping on. And you know what? Along the way, there are going to be some difficult times. Along the way, you're going to be disturbed. I would dare to say you will be disturbed until you go home to be with Jesus. Because God wants more for you. He's called you for more. He's called the Thessalonians for more. And so when we pray for each other, we pray that this gospel, people would hear it. They would understand it. We pray that we would be able to communicate it clearly. We pray that people would know that God has called them and that God is using us to call them. And we pray that they would have more than just an understanding of story, but there would be deep conviction that when we're unkind, when we're boastful, when we're proud, when we're controlling, when we're just not what God calls us to be, that we would be perturbed by the Spirit of God. And so he continues to, to speak to them about these issues here and, and recognize. And then the third thing he says to them, he says, look at verses 9 and 10. He says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how speaking of Timothy coming back, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven because he raised, from, he raised him from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so what Paul is saying is don't forget that this Jesus rescued you. He rescued you out of your idol worship. What's idol worship? It's any time we put something that's good in front of God. Idols become things in our life that we lean into, that we depend upon. It could be our bank account. It could be our children. It could be our good looks. It could be our intelligence. It could be our home. It could be many things. And Paul is saying to them, if you don't hear the gospel and allow the power of the spirit to take over your life, then what are you going to depend on to rescue you? And so for many of us in those times, the things that we look to for our rescuing are nothing more than idols of the heart. It's why John in, in his first epistle ends his first epistle in 1 John 5, 21, my little children, keep yourself from idols. Because if the power of the gospel is not working in our life, then there's something demonic, something worldly, something ungodly that's working in our life that is keeping us from that very thing that wants to it wants to perturb us enough to experience the fullness of God as God is calling us to. And so when we pray for one another, when we pray for one another, we pray for God's best in one another's lives. And we come to the realization that that happens when we're living in relationship with God. He says something here interesting. He says, they tell you how you turn from idols to serve the living true God and to wait from his son. It's interesting, both to serve and to wait are in the present tense. What Paul is saying, it's something that we need to do now. And tomorrow we need to do it now. That this waiting and serving is not something that we used to do or something we're going to do, but it's something that we do now. That the life of the follower of Christ is a life of service. It's a life of looking upon him and waiting for him. It's why we would say, even so, Lord Jesus, come now. 
It's why Martin Luther King, he said Martin Luther, he, he, he lived his life like Jesus was buried, crucified yesterday and raised today and, today and coming tomorrow. Luther said there are things in his life that it was so much they had to do in a, in a day that he would have to pray three hours just to get it all done. The reality of our life gets back to these things, and you'll be amazed. And I, I, I didn't see it how many times Paul writes these letters, and he begins these letters with praying for these people. And he knows the hardship of these Thessalonians. He knows it because T- Timothy and Silas came back, and, and he heard about the struggle. He heard about the persecution, but he also heard about how God had rescued them. And how they lived with a life that understood the rescue of Jesus from the idols. Because friends, you and I both know that we need somebody to rescue us. Left to our own devices, we're not always the people we want to be. I don't care how long it is that we find ourselves walking with Christ. There are days that we're not the people that God wants us to be. That's why we need to pray for one another. We need to lift one another up. We need to encourage one another. We need to speak into one another's lives because it's as we pray for one another, as we reckon the importance of one another, as we lift one another up. So when we meet on on these days, I meet with some people at 12 o'clock on Friday noon. Ryan meets with some people at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. There are other prayer groups that meet I want to challenge you. Come and try it. Come and pray with us. How many of you are tired? Now you're getting afraid now, right? I'm not raising my hand. Uh-uh. Next thing he's going to say, what are you doing with your life? If anybody had time, friends, to pray, it's our church. And so I would challenge you to be a people of prayer and to live our life in such a way that we could wait and serve and be in relationship with God and find ourselves lifting one another up. God knows we need to lift up our country. God knows we need to pray for the division. There's been this exhaustion. It's the word of the last two years when you ask people, they say, I'm just exhausted. Many people have known people who have died in the last couple years. Many people have known people who have lost their jobs. Many people know families have struggled. God begins, Paul begins his prayer when he says, I thank God as I remember you. I thank God because you're not leaning on the idols to rescue you. You've been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel and the power of the Spirit that's brought conviction to your life. And so when we think of these things, let's make sure we, we don't find our value in our idols. Do you remember Chariots of Fire? I love that scene when uh, Harold, I think his name was Harold Abrams, he's running the 100-yard dash, and he's so troubled, and he makes this statement, and they're asking, why are you so troubled? Because he says, I only have 10 seconds to show whether I'm significant or not. You remember Rocky? Rocky's fighting Apollo Creed. 
He says, I just want to go 15 rounds. I just need to go 15 rounds. Because if I go 15 rounds, then I'll know I'm not a bum. How many people live their life like that? Trying to prove their worth when their value has been given to them in Christ. And it's so easy to forget that because we find ourselves leaning into idols or we find ourselves living in condemnation and shame because of our failure or because of somebody else putting our failure on us, and it's a lie. We need to pray for one another, and we need to make this prayer our prayer so that we all can be waiting, we all can be serving, we all can be helping one another come into that right relationship with God where we truly begin to discover our purpose, our meaning, our ethic, our future. So maybe you can make this prayer your prayer. God knows we've spent a lot of time in our life trying to find ways to to satisfy ourselves. Because sometimes we truly don't believe we're enough in Christ. And you'll find that Paul's prayers often are to remind us of the gospel. Because in Christ we are everything. Paul will say and praise in Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. That we are seated together with Christ. That we are his workmanship. That we are the cat's meow. That's who we are. So why do we need idols? And why do we need the devil to shame us? Why do we shame one another? Why not live out the truth of this gospel? If you have this card, I think it's interesting. Uh, if, you ha- if you got this, if not, I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is, a par- this is a paraphrased version of what I just read to you. So I sat down and I said, how do we make this our prayer? And maybe as we go through these passages, it will help us to learn how to pray as we look at the scripture. So it says, every time we think of our church, we thank God, our Father. We keep each other always in our prayers. We think of the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope we look for in following Jesus. That's what Paul says. When we do it, that's what we're going to see. We're going we're to see this, this way of a, a work of faith, a labor of a love, an inspiration of hope. And he goes on to say, it is clear to us God loves us very much, but also has put his hand on us for something special. May the message preached come to us, not just in words. Make make something happen in us. May the Holy Spirit bring deep conviction to us. God, help us to pay careful attention to the way we live. Help us to imitate the master. Although great trouble accompanies the word, Help us to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. Help us to see the trouble with the joy. May our witness spread all over Deschutes County, provoking others to godly jealousy. May our lives keep echoing the Master's word, not only in sisters, but all over the place. May the news of our faith in God spread out. May we not even have to say anything anymore. May our lives be the message. May we give the gift of hospitality with open arms. Help us to desert the dead, idols of our old life, to embrace and serve God 
the true God. And may others marvel at how expectantly we arrived the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. Maybe that's what goes on in your refrigerator this week. Maybe that helps you to begin to pray. And maybe instead of every time we think of our church, we say, God, every time I, I think of John or I think of Dean or I think of Brian or I think of Rob or I think of Ryan or I think of Mary or I, I think of Cindy or I think of Terry, every time I think of them, God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those that are such a blessing and I'm grateful to those that I struggle with because they teach me how to be gracious. God, help me to be like you. So as we begin this journey together down this road, I, I pray that, that as we think about what it means to wait and serve and to be rescued, we remember the gospel because our bank account and all the things of this world that it provides can't rescue us. Jesus has rescued us. And for that very end, we celebrate and we ask God, do it again. Do it for Tom. Do it for Mary. Do it for Harry. Do it again that you might continually add more to your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, as you think about communion, God, I think about the reality of, of what it means to be a follower of you. I think about how, God, you've called us to live our life in such a way that we're living out the gospel. That I pray, Lord, that my prayer for our church is that we would experience God messing with us. That we would not be content where we're at, but we'd always want to grow, and so God continually challenge us to grow. That we would be the people that, that desire you, and if there's anything, as C.S. Lewis said, that's keeping us, me, from you, whatever it is, that we would throw it away. Nothing, nothing is worth losing me to something else. So God, I ask that we would come to you, that we would put away all the idols, and our prayer would be, we want the gospel. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.